Hi, this is Mike Phillips from Upper Deck, and you are listening to the Marvel Card Collectors Podcast. Hello, everybody. My name is Ian Taylor, and welcome to the Marvel Card Collectors Podcast, brought to you by the Marvel Cards Fan Collective, an awesome community of card collectors and creators. You can find our two groups on Facebook, details of which are at the end of this podcast, so come check us out. With me, as always, is my co-pilot in all things Marvel Cards. He puts the jam in the jambalaya. It's Norin Rad. <laughs> hey, buddy. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> all right. I was, I was very tempted to put on an accent for that, kind of a southern Louisiana kind of accent, maybe. But... <laughs> I almost butchered one. I am not good at it whatsoever. Um, <laughs> why I didn't do it. <laughs> I, I'm surrounded by it, too. I got nothing. The jam and jambalaya. I don't know. Yeah. I can't do it. Now I'm embarrassed, but we'll move on. Listen, I'll quite happily bust out my Michael Caine. I'll even go Australian. But <laughs> See? There you go. Southern U.S.? I can't Southern do it. U.S.? Can't do it. <laughs> can't do it. Anyway. Um, but um, I certainly can do East Coast U.S., um, I can't actually, but that's a really, really weak way of segueing into introducing uh, <laughs> today's guest. Um, this is going to be like this all episode, so I, I, I promise you that. We're often corpse. Um, uh, I'm, I'm really excited to, to speak to this gentleman. Um, we, when we spoke to Travis um, from Upper Deck a few weeks back, he, he dropped uh, this fine fellow's name and said, oh, yeah, you've got to speak to Mike. Um, so this evening, folks, we speak to Mike, uh, Mike Phillips, Executive Vice President of Sales and Marketing at the Upper Deck Company. <sighs> My goodness, that's a job so title, cool. sir. So cool. <laughs> Good evening, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You're of more course. Than welcome. You're it's more a than lot to say. It, it is a it is a lot to say. I, I appreciate that. It's your, it's your business card hinge and unfold like a like, ah, a, like a booklet sketch. <laughs> I, I I do often struggle with what exactly to put on a business card, but I will tell you this: I I lay claim. Uh, as does does really everybody at Upper Deck in having the coolest business cards on earth because I'm pretty sure no one else gets to hand a business card to somebody with Michael Jordan pictured on it. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You see, you see, now this just makes me want to start collecting them because because just because well no do you remember um mike and you you may well know about this um i think it might be slightly before your time i don't know but when we spoke to bob budiansky a few um few weeks back um there are some very very difficult to get a hold of marvel editor cards yes 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 they did around 91 92 um yeah they were caricatures of all the uh editors and creative directors and everyone on the team and they're pretty rare to find but they also signed the back of them so it's pretty cool there should be a kind of like a little upper deck spotlight insert set (laughs) i think that'd be pretty awesome that's pretty cool yeah yeah i I, we we, and we're able to choose uh which of our spokesmen we want to put on and uh you know i can't really go wrong with mj so uh that was was fairly easy choice (laughs) good good and just just so you know ian just as a Mm. as a as a as a side note my daughter is currently uh at tulane university which is down in new orleans so i too am working on my southern louisiana accent I'm, i'm having to i'm having to uh I find myself sort of 
slowly getting into one when I'm sitting in a restaurant, perhaps, or, or having a conversation with someone down there. You can't help it. No, it's a very yeah, just yeah. sort of relaxing, laid back accent. And it's uh, it's quite nice. This is this oh, is what I'm hearing. I've I've never yeah. been lucky enough to make the trip down there. So uh, one day, when all of this 2020, <laughs> 2021 is in the rearview mirror, I'm I'm very much hoping to make the trip. Um, so so Mike, um, I um, we recently heard you on another show focusing on the sports side, and there were so many things in there. And uh, I'm not going to ask you to repeat everything you said on that because it was very hockey focused. And um, but it did give me some really um, interesting little insights into into your history and where you've kind of been and what what sets you've touched and what card designs you've touched especially which which i'm really looking forward to talking about but just just kind of tell us where, where you where you kind of started because i know that you you've been at upper deck for what 20 years now 21 uh, in a uh 21 in two weeks 21 in two weeks wow. okay but before that you were at flia back in the 90s and that's right. that's that's quite a journey so just just tell tell us your kind of origin story how did you how did you start where did you come up from sure sure so i always uh i always like to tell people um you know i started collecting baseball cards when i was seven or eight years old my mom would bring them home when she'd come home from work she'd stop at the drugstore pick up a couple packs and uh and that really started me with the collecting bug um and uh when when you know friends were selling lemonade on the corner i was selling cards and that's a true story uh so really uh that was my first sort of introduction into the business of cards uh and just been a collector since then dabbled in some card shows in the late 80s um and then uh once i uh, graduated from college uh i had the opportunity to co-own a uh, trading card and comic shop in the early 90s and uh, enjoyed doing that, learned a lot, did that for uh, for a couple of years uh, and had the opportunity to take a position at a distributor. And this distributor uh, was primarily a comic book distributor, but also was uh, at the time the largest trading card distributor uh, in the industry. And most people didn't know that because they thought of us as a as a comic book distributor, which we were first and foremost. But we sold a lot of cards. Uh, the name of that company was Heroes World Distribution. And I don't know if you've ever heard that name before. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I sort of managed the trading card business uh, while I was there. And that was the that was a really interesting era in the trading card world, because that was when um, you know, the first edition of Marvel Masterpieces had come out when I was in my shop. But the second one in 93 came out when I was at Heroes World. So I, I remember wow. those those pallets wow. of cards rolling in uh, like it was yesterday. Uh, That's and so great. So when I was at Heroes World, I was at Heroes World from 93 to 95. And during my time at Heroes World, we were acquired by Marvel. Uh, ah. And, uh, you know, Marvel wanted to uh, – at the time, there were really only – I don't know how much you know about the history of comic book distribution, but back then I think there were only really three primary comic book distributors, us being the smallest of the three. Uh, and I guess Marvel wanted to uh, bring some of their distribution in-house, so they acquired uh, Heroes World. Uh, and Heroes World uh, and, and, oh, and Marvel, excuse me, uh, at that time had already acquired both Fleer and Skybox. Uh, and for me, 
I lived uh, I lived in central New Jersey and uh, Fleer Skybox was located in southern New Jersey. So when the opportunity came up to transfer within the company, uh, I jumped at it. So uh, in September of 1995, I joined uh, Fleer Skybox and uh, I was there for uh, five years uh, and, and just a really, really fantastic time in the history of the industry. I uh, got to do a lot of different things in those five years. Uh, I helped uh, create FLIR's first sort of hobby distribution program. Uh, worked on the international side of our business for a bit. Uh, and then uh, and then had the opportunity to work in the product development side on the sports side of things, which was just a whole lot of fun. Got to work with just some incredible people, uh, passionate, talented people. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh, and then uh, in early 2000, uh, had the opportunity to move on to Upper Deck, in uh, on the hobby uh, on the hobby sales side of things, and and uh, and jumped at that opportunity, and have been here ever since. Wow. So that's kind of the uh, that's kind of the the two minute tour of my career. But we can certainly <laughs> delve in. We can certainly delve into any part you want. But I, yeah. I do like to. I'm I'm kind of proud of the fact that I I'm betting that I'm. The only person in this industry who could say that they were a show dealer, uh, a shop owner, uh, work for a hobby distributor, as well as a manufacturer. So uh, I've run the gamut. That's 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 quite an impressive. It was quite an impressive resume. I'm just my brain is sparking all over with, with just that's what it must have been like. Because because you're, it's it's very interesting. Obviously, the the Marvel cards side of things after kind of master around 96 time that 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 kind of just went that bubble burst a little bit um i think it's fair to say um with marvel yeah. with it um yeah. and um, um but of course now we're in another kind of real boom period certainly in the last year i'd say year 18 months um it, it must be quite bizarre seeing two like big being being there in your in your younger days, although you don't look a day older than when you were at that hobby shop. Um, <laughs> so whatever you're it. drinking, I'll have some I of definitely it. Definitely feel it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all do at the moment. Um, but um, um, it must be interesting seeing two ends of like almost. A, I don't want to make you feel old, but almost a generational span, you know, from like the OG days of those early sets and now all the resurgence and interest in those early sets, all the current product coming out. What similarities can you draw between those two periods that you're what you're seeing now and what you kind of experienced then? Is, is there is there anything? I, I, I definitely think there are. Uh, I think there are quite a few. I think one of the things that jumps out at me, especially now, uh, and you mentioned this past year, which has been such a unique time in my mind for entertainment trading cards as a whole, certainly for Marvel, uh, is that reintroduction. I, I remember early on um, the novelty of Marvel trading cards in the early 90s uh, and how you know people's first reaction to them, uh, people being introduced to them, not even knowing really that they existed. They, a lot of instances knew that sports cards, baseball cards existed, but not as familiar with the entertainment side. Uh, and I think you referenced that time in the middle there where things went south. Um, because of that, it enabled sort of things to be reborn. And I think you're seeing a lot of that now, this reintroduction, both to 
Uh, and it, and it's running a little bit parallel to what's going on the sports side of the business, believe it or not. You're, you're really introducing this new generation of people to Marvel trading cards that, quite frankly, didn't really know they existed. Mm-hmm. Now, you have different dynamics going on. You have the MCU now and you have you just there's a lot of differences between then and now. But uh, and the, and the just the sheer popularity of the Marvel Universe now. But but I, I do notice some similarities uh, especially in in people uh, discovering that these cards actually exist, and mm. and and honestly, how cool they can can they they can look, and what you can do with a two and a half by three and a half inch piece of cardboard, as opposed to artwork or even a comic book, which is much larger size. Yeah. So I I do enjoy that, and I think it, it, one more thing, what we're seeing on the sports side is definitely happening on entertainment. I think as we're forced to be at home. Uh, all this time, and it's forcing us to go back and look at our what we collected and go through collections, whether it be trading cards, comics, or what have you. Uh, introducing it with pride to your kids is is also happening um, quite a bit these days, and I think it leads to the resurgence of of all trading cards right now as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. No, we're definitely we're definitely seeing like masterpieces. Twenty twenty is a is a prime example. We saw it in twenty eighteen as well. Is you got you got guys kind of thirties forties who are doing live box breaks on Facebook with their kids. You know, with their five, six, seven. Yeah, one guy, uh, Brad uh, Galley. No. <laughs> we, um, he's, um, he, you, you may know him. He, he's a broadcaster out of Detroit, I think. And he, he opened a box of um, Homecoming with his three-year-old son. <laughs> and it was just mm-hmm. hilarious watching him. That's adorable. Um, so- we are we are seeing that a lot, and they gate crashed the episode that he was he was guest on as well. So that was quite sweet. Um, we um, what one thing that I really picked up on, which is kind of what I hinted at in in our introduction, was I didn't realise how many of the the card designs and styles that are now kind of merging into the Marvel sphere and have been for a number of years now, things like PMGs, things like Jambalayas, started on the sports side. And actually you were kind of uh, on the ground floor with a lot of those kind of designs. So tell us a little bit about uh, kind of PMGs, Jambalayas, some of those, some of those things that people now hunt for and yearn for and go after and how you remember them coming to be. Yeah. So, um, I was fortunate to join FLIR um, at a time when we were really just starting to see the influx of, um, uh, you know, serially numbered cards, parallels, uh, really sort of intricate die cuts and other technologies and uh, substrates. The substrate is a term we use freely in the industry. It's another term for uh what you're printing on, the material you're printing on, mm. um, and 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 just having uh, back, you know, in the, in the '90s when you know um, sales were were fairly robust, still you had some pretty decent sized budgets to try things, uh, and there was a, a, a lot of openness to to try new things and and see what collectors gravitated gravitated towards, uh, and we and we had some that they ran away from. So, uh, you know, it was really cool to be able to try these new things. Uh, and, and, you know, when I, when I look back on it now, uh, in no way did I ever think that so much of what we were doing back then would be as important as it is today. Mm-hmm. I don't think you could ever really, 
you know, know that as you're doing it. But uh, I, I freely admit I I never dreamed it would have the impact that it still does to this day. Um, I I really was uh, was fortunate to work, like I mentioned earlier, with some insanely talented people uh, and 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 our designers at, at the time were were just fantastic, brilliant designers who were just so um creative and and open to trying things and would you know I looked forward to the meetings with them every time because they just present us with these just th- things I'd never think of and of course I'm not a designer but uh, when you when you place uh, a piece of artwork or a photo of an athlete on it it just it just clicked it just worked and uh, it was really it was really uh it was really fun to go through those and to test things we did a lot of uh a lot of consumer research where we'd where we'd go to shows or and bring people in as as focus groups and show them a variety of different looks and let them and you know and we did a lot of that uh, back then but uh, it, it was um, we just happened to be in a time where we had a combination of talent we had budget uh, and we had some fantastic licenses to work with um, and uh, and and it and a lot of it worked I personally uh, I, I worked on. Uh, a brand in sports called EX, uh, which mm-hmm. probably won't mean much to people who have collect uh, entertainment cards, but uh, that was a very technology-based set. And uh, and in the, the EX 2000 product, which was basketball in 96, 97, uh, I created an insert called Jambalaya. And what I was doing with that was I was, I was trying to think of names that uh, 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 I wanted to do a dunking insert and uh, just trying to come up with names that fit dunking with the word jam. And uh, yeah, I like spicy food, but it, it you know, uh, <laughs> but, but jambalaya just fit. And, you know, you give the designer that name to work with you. The, the process goes, you, 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 you know, you come up with the concepts you want in the set from a, uh, you know, ratio standpoint and the subjects and the set size. And you hand it over to the, uh, the designers to go and run with. Uh, and they took that and they knew it was going to be a rare insert and they ran with it and they came up with this substrate and this die cut that, uh, just popped. It just worked. We knew it right away. And, um, you know, jambalaya in particular, I always hone in on cause it's such an important insert to this day, but that really, uh, a lot of that credit goes to the designers because they they put the pieces together uh, and really hit it out of the park. I mean, eating that card for me totally popped. I wasn't into sports when I was young, but I was a kid of the 90s. And man, when Jambalaya's hit, everyone knew about it. I remember seeing them in the sports shops. I remember the dunking. I remember Tim Duncan. I remember all these things Mm -hmm. back in the day. So crazy that you were a creator of that. Um, Yeah. Because, you know, we've recently, because of the boom, everyone's come to Marvel cards to take interest. And I think the coolest conversations I've had with many people who are sports and also people who are new to the hobby or is that, man, there's so much design in all of these cards. How come I never noticed before? Like QFX, the FLIR Retros, the TI-22s from FLIR Retro 2013. You know what I mean? And I... You know, you even did callbacks to the 90 cars for Fleer Retro 2015. I don't even think people realize yet that there's callbacks to these designs. Well, part of the part of the impetus behind that was, um, you know, we were we have this great license in Marvel and we and, and you know, when you have this potential, this 
potentially massive collector base of people who read Marvel comics, obviously, and, and enjoy the movies. And yet trading cards were, were sort of lagging. And we had, uh, we had the Fleer at Upper Deck, I'm speaking. We had the Fleer name. Uh, we had the, uh, the brands and we had access to those old designs and the, and the equity in those. And we thought, all right, how do we get people to try Marvel trading cards? And you had these these designs and these these insert names that were associated with, you know, had this great history. They were really unique. They were high valued on the sports side. Let's try bringing those over to Marvel and seeing if we can get some people who know what those are to come over and check out Marvel trading cards. And I think it, in a way it worked. Uh, it really introduced people uh, to those designs and, you know, PMGs, another uh, precious metal gems, is another example of that. Where, you know, we tried that in in Marvel, and it was a it was a stretch, but uh, but I think as collectors, both from the sports side and and Marvel collectors, a realized how cool they looked, and then yeah. were able to reference what some of those things were worth um, on the sports side. I think those two things really you know helped help the Marvel trading cards, particularly introducing them into Marvel trading cards, really helped elevate them. I think it also, 100%. I also think that we're looking now with everyone going back and being like, okay, what do I chase? What do I get graded? Because that's kind of the boom we're in right now. PMGs is on the tip of everybody's tongue. And that's what everyone's chasing right now. And I do think it's interesting looking at PMGs and then how Marvel cards have become more modern Marvel cards, right? The tier systems, the serial numbers and everything like that. It seems like a very natural progression. And it's very cool to go back now and to see the the larger effect that's happening in our in our, in our hobby. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And like I said, I in a million years none of us thought that those things would have such a lasting effect. But, uh, you know, to this day, and we were careful when we introduced them into new sets that we try to maybe incorporate some new nuances, but we don't want to stray too far from what made them what what they are. Uh, and and to your point about grading, I mean, geez, you, you talk about a con- condition-sensitive yes. item. I mean, the precious metal gem and that full overlay of of uh, bright foil uh, that just are so susceptible to chipping uh, in in today's market, especially. I mean, that just adds a whole other layer of potential collectability and value. We like yeah. to, we we like to pride ourselves in creating new cards that should all be you know, relatively, you know, solid condition. But at the end of the day, you know, you have to cut them and it's just impossible for every card to be perfect, especially when you're dealing with with foils and substrates like like we're talking about today. Yeah. And that's the conversation we're having with our with our groups and with our audiences. Right. A lot of people are coming in like, okay, yeah, 1990 Marvel Universe was overproduced. Why is everybody making a big deal? And then you're like, there's off centering issues. There's soft corners. I mean, it gets it's it's definitely a hell of a ride to figure out everything that could possibly go wrong with these pieces of cardboard. Uh, but yeah, PMGs and these very special inserts, especially when they're foiled and they're die cut and such beautiful work gets even more difficult to find these in great condition. It, it is. And, um, and, and I think you're right. I mean, the grading phenomenon has really elevated the, uh, the attention levels of all trading card collectors, uh, what's going on right now. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I love looking at, and I'm blown away by some of the prices being 
realized for even things from like the early Marvel holograms and and some of these things like from sets to your point that were were never thought of as limited edition products. Uh, but you're seeing, I just saw the other day a, a Marvel hologram finish. I think it was a PSA ten at like fifteen thousand uh, mm-hmm. dollars. And I mean, I, I'm I'm that that's that's fantastic. It's insane. Uh, but it, <laughs> Mike's but going uh, down to his also, basement to get awesome. a suitcase out. Yeah, <laughs> where you've got all the what all do the, I have the holograms? Yeah. <laughs> it, really, it really is. Uh, it really is. And and even like, look, I'll wholeheartedly admit. You know, I, I, I referenced those pallets of 93 Marvel Masterpieces coming into the warehouse when I was back at Heroes World. That was those early Marvel Masterpiece products were not short. Uh, I think we all know that they were not lightly produced no. yet. They've been consumed to the point where, uh, you know, they've they've like like a lot of other things have dried up. And now the the sport within a sport is kind of trying to find that PSA 10, both in the, just a base card that has popular artwork on it or or some of the inserts um, that yeah. have a little bit more condition sensitivity. So it's uh, it's sort of like a, a sport within a sport. I One hate to ask this. I'm oh, so no, sorry. Yep. Very quickly. Go on. Sure. What, let's talk about pallets of 1996 Marvel Masterpiece. I think that might be. Oh, <laughs> you'll get a Where are those hiding, Mike? I know they're in your oh, garage. You can't yeah, lie to us oh, anymore. We found yeah, you. Yeah, so that that was the. Uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was sort of the the vertical box, right? The the square one. Yeah. Is am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, those, are, those have been. Those have been. Those are tough. I mean, I'm not. I'm, I'm stating the obvious, but uh, but those have been gone for a while. Like you can blame the current. Uh, the current sort of state of the industry for quickly making things that weren't hard to find now much harder to find. But that <laughs> box was hard to find a long time ago. So oh, I, yeah. I, I don't know. And, I, and of course, I was at FLIR at that point. So I wasn't uh, in a warehouse setting where I'd actually see those pallets coming in. But I have to imagine there weren't many. Uh, and, and for that to be as as dry for this long. Yeah, those are tough. Well, you see, there's, the reason the reason no one touches on it in this is is that this urban legend that exists urban within legend. Marvel cards <laughs> that that there is there there was stock that never made it out from because of the events that were happening around Marvel of that set, and so they were still somewhere in the liquidation when 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 Fleer went when bye bye in 20, right. uh, 2000 i believe um and i'm not asking you for for, for any in, intel on that but i just i, I just wondered if you so he, he is he's shameless <laughs> he's he's american i'm a reserved brit but um but exactly. uh, but it is one of those things I, I wasn't sure if you were aware that 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 kind of rumor persists you know i in, have in, no i i have to admit i've not heard that uh i have i have Spent many a day walking through the Fleer warehouse when I was there, um, for you know, for all sorts of reasons. Uh, but uh, and I uh, and I attended the the Fleer auction as well. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't recall seeing any of that, uh, and I don't recall it on any inventory report from my time. But then again, that was a long time ago. I remember a lot of things, but that would be digging in pretty deep. I I don't. That's I don't, okay. We, I want you, know, you to know, Mike. I want you to know that everyone right now, all the Marvel car collectors have this map with a bunch of lines and string trying to line up the events. There is one and guy who actually does have something. We've similar. just connected the dots. So you're, this is a big lead, Mike. So thanks. I'm, uh, you, you, um, you I'm, honored to, I'm honored to be uh, a clue. 
there's 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 two things to unpack there. First of all, there's the in my mind's eye, it's like the warehouse at the end of Indiana Jones where they yeah. where they wheel yeah. in the, <laughs> the just goes forever. forever. Yeah. Um, so I just got an image of you as that man. So next time ah. I watch that film, I I think it's you. Um, and the second thing is uh, Fleer auction. So is that what I think it might be when was that the selling off of the remaining assets? Yeah. I've never heard of this. Wow. Yeah, there okay. was a uh, there was a liquidation auction. Uh, I want to say it was in 06. Okay. Um, and when when Fleer was in bankruptcy, uh, and all the assets were sold yeah. off. Um, so yeah, there were. I mean, there were there were a lot of pretty. You know, at the time, again, you're talking about 06, and it wasn't you know overly compelling at the time. Although I'm sure they raised a lot of money for the other. Uh, the people who are owed money, but uh, you know, at the time, you like certainly on the sports side, and I assume on the entertainment side as well. I, I don't think anybody dreamed that what was there then would have the value that it has now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people, in in hindsight, uh, probably got some pretty good bargains. <laughs> Hindsight's always twenty twenty. I think. <laughs> I, think <we'd, laughs> I think we'd all admit to that. Um, yeah. That, that, that's very interesting. This is this these kind of it. It must have been so weird to be there. I mean, obviously you've been up at what six years at that point, but it must be yeah. so odd to to see the kind yeah. of the um, almost the bones of of, of the it was, company you'd it, work for. It was a lot of uh, it was a lot of mixed emotion, and I'll be honest with you, it was uh, because I I you know had such fond memories um, of my time there, uh, but I will wholeheartedly admit it was also pretty fun to be there with someone else's credit card <laughs> so, so i was like i wasn't spending my money you know uh, buybacks buybacks that part <laughs> that part was uh was was interesting of course there was you know in that sort of in you know in that sort of liquidation you know we immediately think of the cards and things like that, but it, you know, it was fixtures, it was office furniture. It was, yeah. so, you know, there were things in there that, you know, were coming up for auction that I, I, for years I sat at that table, you know, or in that, in wow. that, uh, wow. you know, uh, meeting room and things like that. So it was, it was bittersweet. Yeah. It yeah bittersweet. Sure. But it was, uh, it was an interesting couple days. That's for sure. Well, <laughs> well, we'll have to, we'll have to, everyone will be hearing this and they'll be making notes anyway. Um, so, you mentioned the designers, and I, I, I'd not heard of these these people, um, uh, but you mentioned it on the recent episode that you did of the Sports Card Live show, and I went and tracked down the another episode of another podcast where they interviewed uh, one of one of the, this couple um, of Arena Designs, sure. um, and I believe that they were I, I'd never heard of them until that that interview with you, so. Uh, and we will at some point, hopefully, reach out to them, and if they're willing to, we'll we'll, we'll talk to them directly about about their experiences if they if they're up for that. But so so are those the guys who you reference when you were talking, among others, I'm sure, about the the creativity behind designing some of the things like the jambalayas, like the PMGs, and some of the other concepts. Yes. Yes. Um, so, and you're correct. Uh, it, it's a, it's a couple, uh, Gene and Earl, uh, mm-hmm. arena design. Yep. And they were, uh, they were our primary designers, uh, for sports cards during that time period. I don't, I don't believe they worked on entertainment, but I'm not positive of that. Um, but they, you know, their, their main, uh, their main job was, 
was certainly uh, design work on trading cards. And yeah, they are they uh, they were the design force behind a lot of the things uh, and a lot of the insert concepts that we're talking about. Certainly Jambalaya, PMG, um, and a lot of the other inserts that have made their way uh, into Marvel trading cards. Absolutely. A lot of those really impactful designs, a lot of the unique, intricate die cuts that you uh, you see from back then, um, a lot of the use of really unique foil boards and, and other substrates, the uh, the sort of the three-dimensional, uh, the use of uh, some, there were a lot of acetate cards then, which is clear plastic. Uh, yeah. They introduced, uh, they introduced this fantastic acetate that was, for lack of a better term, I, I'm sure there's a more technical term. We called it glow edge stock, where it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a clear plastic, but the edges of it had like a fluorescent glow to them. So when you're oh. opening up a pack and you, and you, I, like many collectors, when you open up a pack, you kind of fan the side a little <laughs> bit to see if you have anything really cool. And those would really just jump out at you, right? So oh. um, I, those have always been one of my favorites. And we use that on, on EX 2001 and, and subsequent EX releases for uh, parallels uh, of the base cards. Uh, but th- those were an, another thing. So, yeah, they, they, uh, they had a hand in, in quite a bit of those designs and super talented um, uh, people, really, really just genuine, nice people who I'm happy to say I remain friends with to this, to that, to this day. Oh, uh, good. and, uh, just, just real good people. Good. That's awesome. Good. That's nice. That's I mean, nice. I've, I, I'm, I'm going to dive into the episode where I've just found it on YouTube and I'm six minutes in and already I was <laughs> getting excited and then I had to yeah, and, come and talk and to And there's you. a, there's a, on the PMGs as a side note, there's a great story. Gene tells it certainly a lot better than I do, mm-hmm. uh, where we were trying to come up with, you know, as you know, there's, uh, the original PMGs were primarily red, but the first 10 were green, uh, and they were numbered as part of the hundred. But the first 10 were green, and we were trying to come up with what to do for those first 10 before we decided on green. And and uh, Gene has this fantastic ring, and it's got this green stone in it. Uh, and um, again, she, she can give a lot more detail than me. But basically, the origin story of the PMG green is from the stone in her ring. Uh, that's where we That's where that comes from. Uh, that has a little bit of a Marvel tinge to it, I, I that, think. It does, uh, yeah, it definitely does. Little Thanos gauntlet. That, I love that it. ring. That ring has a little bit of power. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but, uh, but that's where uh, that's where the PMG green actually came from. Wow, that's, that's a little, little, little interesting tidbit there. That's amazing. I, love that. I actually, actually, um, in the recent absolutely mad blood in the water flurry of Fleer Ultra Spider-Man selling out on EPAC a couple of weeks back, which I'm sure yeah, you'll have seen from all the internal, <laughs> all the internal yeah. memos. Um, but um, I pulled a, a green PMG Spider-Man mm. and, um, and, and that um, uh, traded <laughs> extremely well, uh, shall we say. <laughs> but um, the, um, one of the, um, uh, my train of thought has left the station. I just completely re- – <laughs> it's that green. It just dazzles you when you it's, look at it. I mean, the colors are so pretty, man. <laughs> well, well, I don't know if you, – you, you probably won't know, but we, we one of the parallels of um, – it just occurred to me while, while you were talking earlier. It's obviously with the sports side, people do go after certain players. Um, you know, I, I've recently in the last two years gotten into NFL cards, um, and, and Patriots are the team I, I tend to go after, but, um, um, less said about the last season, the better the, um, 
but with with Marvel cards, it's it's becoming much more of a thing recently uh, with character collectors. Um, so I go after the character Black Cat from Spider Man, and and Norin. Well, Norin is obviously not your real name because Norin Rad is the name of the Silver nice. Surfer. Surfer. Um, yeah, that's right. So, that, so that's his guy. So Norin, you can tell you can talk about the the, the certain green edition of your boy that eludes you oh, to this day. Oh. I am so close to having everything from the Surfer and like a master collection. And the okay. only son of a is the damn green PMG. <laughs> it's the one that eludes me. It's the one that eludes me. So I might have to consult that ring of power and see if I can find it in some way. <laughs> not a bad idea. Um, not a bad idea. Yeah, the uh, the grand and there are only ten of them, right? Yeah, so uh, only just ten of makes them. it infinitely more difficult to find. But yeah, yeah I do. I, I think. Uh, it stands to reason, you know, like like on the sports world, in the sports world, you know, people are, are player collectors still. And and back when parallels and inserts were born, you know, there were a lot of people claiming that was going to be the death of the player collector because it's just sheerly impossible to collect every, you know, card of Ken Griffey Jr. or Michael Jordan or whoever. And um, and I think to this, I think that was was a bit exaggerated. I, I you collect what you like, and you collect yeah. what you can afford, and you collect by your means. And um, you're, it's going to be. Although I'm very impressed that you've accumulated that many Silver Surfer cards, but uh, it, it's it's nearly impossible to get everything these days. No. And as more and more products come out, it becomes more impossible. But you collect what you like and collect what you can. Uh, within reason and when that opportunity pops up when uh one of those silver surfer greens you you gotta uh you may have to go for it but it it, you gotta go for it i got a few limbs i can auction off i keep i keep good friends that are willing to pay high prices for long arms or something like that just you know just (laughs) you just keep them in your phone just in case like you need a kidney well you know time has come hey what Um, did the avengers say whatever it takes Whatever yeah. it takes. Whatever no, it it's takes. true. Exactly. And we talk about this in our group all the time. It's not. And one day, I'm sure soon, as it has already happened, starting with MM16, which you set, is that, you know, we've got into an era where you can't just collect a whole set, right? There's too many inserts, too many uh, possibilities of things vanishing. I mean, one of the best things about EPAC that Ian and I talk about on the show all the time is that when something's pulled on EPAC, you know where it is, right? You can't always see that in a physical product, unfortunately, um, which is, you know, why I always tend to enjoy that, that, that service so much. But... More importantly, it's that, you know, I think with modern Marvel collecting being as it is and tiered and all the inserts and all the different stuff, exactly what you're saying is kind of our mod, uh, our, our, the thing we live by on this show, which is you enjoy collecting what you can. You know what I mean? And you, you figure out ways to run your hobby and what you find out is kind of what you're excited about, you know? Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, it, 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 you, all kidding aside and and selling limbs and things i i you really like you you really it, it could it could really blow your mind like how how much there really is out there and, and it's a nice challenge so you really have to create parameters that make sense uh yeah. it, it, there's just there's just too many different things to choose from so you really have to sort of narrow it down and there's a creativity to that too i think Ian and i talk about that all the time you know there's creativity to like what kind of parallels what kind of things what serial number are you going to go for you know what i mean i think 
I think that's the biggest fun thing about collecting that Ian and I have experienced with our guests and our collectors and our artists is like, wow, I'm going to collect this one thing. You're like, I never thought to make a whole collection <laughs> based on you know this number or this color. You know, it's pretty. I don't know. It's pretty fun. Well, yeah, there there is one guy who collects serial number <laughs> sixty nine for some mm-hmm. childish uh, reason. <laughs> he was on our and we interviewed him for our sixty ninth episode because we were so worried about talking about him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were like, this guy can either be really weird or just having a blast and just being funny. And luckily, it turned out having a blast and being pretty very fun. much oh, on the that's good news. Very much on the left. I mean, he's from the Magic the Gathering side of things, so okay. I guess I so guess the center field becomes okay, a standard. It's not our uh, but um, but the um, the uh, I mean I guess with Norin I mean you've had a few years rest because your character's kind of been on the Marvel yeah, no yeah dream not, not, yeah. Ian. whereas yeah. with me my character's getting hit hard um, and I'm sure you've probably got some some stuff coming up that's going to drive me uh, absolutely mad oh, so you're you're, uh, you're in trouble but yeah oh, yeah thanks for that <laughs> um, I, I'll blame you so when um, so we've talked a lot about the the production side of things talk me about talk to me about kind of what you do now which i think is very similar to what you did then in terms of the kind of the marketing side and the kind of the sales i guess um more as more more as the marketing and and how uh, you know what what kind of involvement you have now in your role at upper deck you know wh- where do you sit now in terms of the marvel product that's coming out and the other products that upper deck release well it's uh it's 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 very different uh, than than back then because uh, you know as mentioned earlier when you have you didn't have an MCU back then so you have this whole new sort of segment yeah there were some movies here and there but like not like now where you have um, sort of two different segments where you have the MCU uh, and then you have publishing products mm-hmm. uh, and they're very different um, and probably less of a different collector base now than there was even a few years ago, five, six, seven years ago, um, kind of crosses over a lot more, I think than, uh, than it used to. But, uh, from a marketing standpoint, you're, when you're, when you're dealing with a publishing product, you're dealing more with a, a seasoned sort of, uh, you know, student of, of the Marvel universe. Um, who also you have to assume has a history in trading cards and knows is aware of the the advances of of trading cards um, and and then on the on the uh, MCU side you know you have a little bit more of a mass market appeal because you're talking about the largest movies in, well in history um, that are uh, you're appealing a little bit more to a fan uh, and you have to gear your marketing efforts. Uh, a little bit more that way. We're doing upper from an upper deck standpoint. Uh, we're greatly increasing uh, and have been. We're not just starting, but um, you know, a lot more focus on social media uh, and enhancing that part of our of uh, of our focus, and also bringing on people who are just solely focused on engaging the community. Um, and uh, we've created just not that long ago some brand new positions internally uh, that are that are solely focused on engagement with uh, with the community. Can speak the language, have credibility, uh, are passionate uh, about you know the subject matter, and and can really come off as 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 they should as credible and a, and a reliable resource. Uh, that's that's primarily. Um, 
you know, the difference between the two. Um, but, you know, as as uh, as the as the base grows, the collecting base grows, uh, obviously it puts more pressure on us to become more innovative, uh, to keep people engaged. Uh, I could tell you on the sports side, this has always been the case and, and, and is on the entertainment side as well, but collector expectations and demands, uh, never go down. Mm. Uh, and, and right, and rightfully so, uh, as we progress just in general, uh, as a as a society and and as as technological advances take form, it's expected that uh, you know as a manufacturer we need to you know advance with them, and that's challenging because, like I said earlier, there's there's only so much you could do with a two and a half by three and a half inch piece of cardboard or whatever you're using. So uh, you know, and 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 look, the printing while there've been some great advancements in printing. Um, the printing sort of world in general uh, is not what it used to be. There's not as much, you know, demand for for printed items. So, you know, there's probably a little bit less investment, I would think, going on there. So we have to really dig deep to find some some things that work in our space. Uh, so we continuously are are looking for new ways to present, um, you know, this 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 vast universe of characters. It's a challenge, but it's also a lot of fun. Uh, and and enables us to do some pretty neat things and try some things. And like I said, we're not always right. We try some things that just don't work. Uh, but we have been knock on wood. We've been doing a pretty good job of uh, of, of of late. And uh, and some of the things that we have coming down the pike, I think, are going to really really be enjoyed by Marvel collectors. I really do. So exciting! Yeah, <laughs> so exciting to hear that. Stuff coming. One thing I. No, what I was going to say was one thing I've uh, just touching on from the sports to the it feels like those those streams are crossing in a big way, not least of which the inserts we've talked about, but some of the brands that are now starting to make the step over to Marvel. I mean, the most um, imminent one, of course, is Black Diamond, which has been announced. So um, so is it is it? Some of those brands, I, I, I'm never sure exactly which area of sports, because obviously you've got the big three in America. You've got basketball, you've got the hockey, you've got the football, or American football as we could. Oh, baseball, of course, as well. Baseball see? all the time. Yeah, yeah. See, typically, yeah, yeah, can't, uh, can't okay. bloody remember things. Uh, hey, I'm, not, I'm uh, no help at all, so, I mean, this is really bad, so I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> my um, knowledge goes from Space Jam to Magic Johnson, and that's where I'm at. That's that's my and Panthers because hockey from Miami. Oh, you're but flaw- all right. That's yeah, Fair enough. you know, you know, that's embarrassing. But that's that's all I got. But <laughs> I'm willing to learn. <laughs> Fair enough. What are you gonna do? Um, so uh, yeah, so you were talking Diamond. about Black Black Diamond yeah. though. So Black Diamond, where what? what area of sport does that come in from is it is it a baseball one is it a basketball one is it a hockey one where where does it come from so black diamond is a brand that um has been around for a little over 20 years now uh in our stable on the sports side uh it it was uh a brand when we used to do we we only primarily do hockey trading cards now on the sports side but uh back when we were doing the four major sports uh black diamond was a brand that you could find in in all four sports, uh, but it ultimately really took hold in hockey. Uh, hockey is, uh, for whatever reason, uh, the uh, early on the technology it was really based around um, what we call light FX technology, which is like an etched foil, um, sort of like what what a PNG looks like, uh, and 
so that that uh, light FX was really uh, the predominant sort of feature of Black Diamond back then. Uh, and then, you know, there were there were varying levels of scarcity depending on how many diamonds were on the card, things like that. Uh, mm. Cool brand. And then uh, as it progressed and as uh, as collector taste changed and the demand was becoming greater for more higher end product, uh, we took the uh, Black Diamond brand in hockey up to a very high end, super premium, expensive product. Uh, and it, while there were some collectors who were disappointed, obviously, you're not going to make everyone happy that that brand that had been going on for so long at a particular price point changed so drastically. Um, the overwhelming response was positive to where we brought it. Uh, mm. And it enabled us to use some pretty, pretty neat technologies other than relying on autographs and game used items. Um, it enabled us to, to deliver value in some really cool ways using gemstones and built into the cards and things like that. Uh, so a couple of years, about, let's say about two years ago when we were looking at our portfolio and we really wanted to try some things uh, on the Marvel side of the business, uh, we were examining our sports brands and which ones sort of would would cross over most effectively. And we really determined that um, Black Diamond with the gemstones obviously – you know, there's some real obvious no-brainers uh, with regard to that in the Marvel universe, uh, but there was some synergy between the the, the two licenses, uh, and we decided to bring that one over. Uh, we have another one. Uh, we have a couple other ones coming later on down the pike where we're going to apply some uh, some of our very well-known sports brands uh, to the Marvel universe as well uh, down the road. But uh, but nice. Black Diamond will be that first sort of incarnation and i'm really anxious to see how that how that uh how that nets out and of course lest we not forget that metal universe x-men is also uh one around the corner as well so uh you know you have those two legacy brands that'll yeah be uh finding their way into the marvel universe which will be a lot of fun i've just you've just sat back and i've just spotted you've got an upper deck zip up top on that's 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 branding that's branding for you travis bless him had an upper deck mug an upper deck cap he was the deck, best upper deck beard almost because yeah we gotta brand that beard yeah, we gotta brand do. that beard put some beads put, in it that spell upper deck no, i see no, no. get him to shave it off for charity and put bits of it in cards you could have beard cards <laughs> but we need to do those upper deck staff cards you could have like a relic card a piece oh, of man. travis beard i can see we it start, i can we see start, it we see See, we start going that, and my mind immediately goes to what our legal team's going to say about that. Oh. <laughs> That's just yeah, the way we have humans. <laughs> legal, legal schmiegel. I think it's been done before. I'm absolutely certain it's been done before. It's, it's funny enough, it seems to be fine to do it for, for people who've passed on. I'm sure I've seen uh, relic cards in some areas with, like, dead people's hair in. We we yeah, we did that uh, back in the day. We did George Washington and uh, oh. several other prominent his, historical figures. We've done hair from uh, racehorses, from uh, okay. horse hair. Oh. Yes, we've done some Love pretty it. neat things in the past with that. Yeah, yeah, and dead and dead beetles and things like that. I know you've done before. Oh so. yeah, we yeah. So. dead beetle. That's right. Not yeah. not not the mus not the musical kind. The, no, no, uh, no, no, the no, no. actual insects. No, the actual the actual insects. <laughs> so if no one's brought a lawsuit about that, then I think you'll be fine with with Travis's beard. That's true. Beard. Travis's beard is uh, looking better and better. <laughs> that's completely throwing me now. Now the thing about Metal Universe is it's oh, something you so said good. a short while back makes sense now because when we went through the Metal Universe um, pre-release 
material. We do. We always do a preview show whenever that drops yeah. into the marketplace, yeah. and we we go over it with a fine tooth comb and try to spot all the little clues and hints and things like that, and just talk about it for people. Um, and one of the things we spotted was that the PMGs on one of them went green one to ten, and then the numbering carried on eleven through to ninety nine in a different color. Of course, that makes perfect sense now. Mm-hmm. When you talk about the experience of those early PMGs, but we we'd never guess. We I remember we stopped yeah. and looked at each other. We were like, "Why?" Yeah. <laughs> and and, and, uh, and it's funny. There's you know that was I remember that meeting like it was yesterday back at Fleer when we were talking about doing that. And this was the early days of parallels, uh, mind you. And you know, the the thought there was well, you know. W- w- you can always do an, uh, a parallel numbered out of 10 and another one numbered out of 100, and then all you have are you have two different parallels, right? Like this sort of it's relatively simple, but no one had ever done anything like that. Uh, and I'm not sure anybody's done anything since like that, where you take the first 10 and do them differently than the remaining 89 or 90 or whatever it's number two. And, uh, and, and uh, it just... It was something worth trying because it was different, and it just yeah. worked. It just worked, and it blew people away because they were they didn't get it. They're like, "Wait, why is this one green?" You know, and all the ones I'm seeing are red. And then I, this was green. Well, they come to realize that the first ten of every player, and in this case, every character, uh, were were green, true to the original. That's going to be great. I know people are so excited about X Men Metal. I know people are just waiting, <laughs> just getting primed and ready. Just waiting. Yeah, I only, uh, I only wish, uh, you know, I believe that was supposed to have been out already. Uh, but you know, uh, yeah, with everything we're, being we're as just, crazy, we're just facing uh, <laughs> so many challenges right now from a production standpoint uh, that that one is uh, unfortunately one of the victims of that. But uh, it's soon, it'll be out soon enough. Well, this is yeah. this is interesting actually because obviously I, I don't like I said I don't want you to repeat what you said on that that other show, but there's one thing I I did want to get into just because I think yeah you, he 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 fired some pretty direct questions at you from from the sports guys who seem to be pretty ferocious uh, some of them in terms of how direct the questions were and you fielded them like a true pro so anything we throw at you will be absolutely water off a duck's back <laughs> but but talk to us a little bit about because I think. There are there is a little bit of crossover, but a lot of the guys who collect Marvel simply won't hear what you were saying about the yeah. modern difficulties you've been having in the last year with with production, um, because they won't experience that. So I think they they probably would be good for that community to hear it. So so yeah, I guess what notwithstanding the recent freeze that you touched on, what what are the biggest challenges you're finding at the moment, um, just in terms of getting the product made? Yeah, they are. Uh, they are challenges like in all my years that I've described to you guys. I, I've never seen anything like what we've gone through the past year, um, obviously in, in life in general. But uh, from from a production standpoint and trying to bring a product to market, uh, it's it's been unprecedented. And, um, you know, I, I, I preface this with like, you know, like I always do when I talk about this. You know, one of the things I love about working where I do, and you guys, I'm sure, see it very clearly when you interview people like our president, Jason Mashera, or people like Travis or Bubby Johansson. You know, um, we are we all are cut from the same cloth in that we are we take a lot of pride in what we do. Uh, We do it. We're very passionate about it. 
And when things don't go as we plan, we take it very personally, even though we're not supposed to. Uh, it's a job, and you once you leave your office, you kind of leave that in its space. It's in, that's easier said than done. And and we we've all been doing this a long time, and we really understand how collectors think and feel. And when things happen that uh, are unpleasant, whether it be damaged cards, whether it be uh, redemption cards, whether it be delays in production, we take a lot of that personally into heart, and uh, and we we don't we don't like that, and uh, and it, it's 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 difficult, um, and we do everything in our power to try to mitigate those. So, um, but when when you run into a situation like we have with COVID, um, it just it it affects things in obvious ways, but then it affects things in so many ways that are not obvious. Uh, when, when, when this first started about a year ago, uh, you know, a lot of, first and foremost, a lot of our customers were forced to close. Uh, and so from a, from an outlet standpoint, there was that point, there was that part. Um, but we also had an issue where, uh, the facility where the cards are produced um, was trying to stay open, uh, and and fortunately uh, we have a few of them uh, in in various states, uh, and you know everything was based on the mandates in the particular state that they were operating in, so everything was a little bit different. Um, and uh, our facility in one of the states we produce cards in uh, was able was was deemed uh, an essential because they're a printer and they also printed. Um, packaging for other industries and things like that. So they were able to keep producing things. But um, but in another state uh, down in Texas, they they were forced to close at some point. Uh, and it's just set the whole industry back. Uh, most trading card manufacturers use them. Uh, and it, it set everything back. Uh, and there was no new product coming out, which you know the side benefit of that, if you want to call it a benefit, was that it drove people to start ripping through all the older stuff, including the stuff that we mentioned earlier that was produced in pretty big quantity and has now become hard to find because people wanted cards to open and there just wasn't anything new coming out. Um, so those are the obvious ones. But then you start thinking about the less obvious things, like uh, when things started to get back to some sense of, uh, I'll use this term lightly, but normalcy over the summer uh, and facilities were able to open, they were able to open under... Um, some pretty serious uh, new protocols. And those protocols meant having people spaced much farther apart, only allowing a certain amount of people on the production floor at a time. And when you're talking about something as complicated as producing trading cards that, you know, have a lot of different stages that they go through and uh, feeders that feed and, you know, getting the pack cards in packs, packs and boxes, if you think about this whole process, it involves hundreds and hundreds of people, but you can't have hundreds and hundreds of people. So you're talking about at capacities of less than 50% of, of what normal production would be. So setting everything back further. Um, and then, uh, and then, so that's another thing. Then you had uh, outbreaks. And if somebody, somebody tested positive, they had to shut down, whether it be at the actual production facility or at uh, another facility which maybe prints the sheets for you. If they had an issue there, shut down. So there are all these things that maybe you wouldn't think about uh, that greatly affected things uh, throughout the production process. And uh, 
and it's just set everything back. So now, uh, oh, and then on top of it, you have issues where uh, the the production facilities were having an unbelievably hard time getting people to come into work. Uh, and if you think about it, even to this day, it's it, you know, it's 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 a bit traumatic when you have been out of somewhere so long. You don't want to contract COVID, and uh, you know, and and you're you're concerned for yourself, your family, uh, and you just don't feel comfortable going into work. So you have you're you're struggling to get people to come in, and uh, and then when they do come in, they're working and they're probably nervous so they're not working at full capacity so there's all these different things uh and we're still fighting through that to this day uh there are still several protocols in place that just make things a little bit less efficient than we're used to uh and that is all added to these uh and contributed to these production delays that we still face uh and we'll probably continue to face for the foreseeable future i would say through this this calendar year Wow. Uh, it, yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been a challenge. And and on top of that, you know, some people ask, well, you know, why does this or that happen from a quality standpoint? We can't. Uh, one of the other protocols is we can't witness any of the production. We can't send people in there to do things like press checks. So we're, you know, uh, flying a little blindly when it comes to that. Uh, and and oftentimes we can't. Uh, detect something until we're opening finished product, uh, which is not ideal. Um, and then you have just other things like approvals. I mean, people are working from home, so getting approvals on things is a lot more difficult uh, and challenging, and understandably so. So there, there are just a myriad of reasons uh, yeah. for things to be delayed, and uh, we're doing the best we can, but uh, it's it's chat logistical challenges, trucking companies. I mean, there's there's so many things. And then you mentioned that freeze down in Dallas last week, in Texas, I should say. I mean, that will set us back a couple of weeks again. All the manufacturers. Yeah. So, um, you know, wow. minor a minor a minor inconvenience compared to the catastrophe that that was that affected so many people's lives. Uh, yeah. But it does it, it and 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 so so sad. But uh, but it does contribute uh, to some of what we're going through today. Yeah, your well, entire, your entire supply yeah. chain, effectively. Yeah, we definitely. Yeah. We definitely appreciate you going through that. We know there's tons of challenges you guys go through, and you know we know you all do really hard work. And everyone we've ever spoken from Upper Deck has been nothing but kind and so passionate and so excited about the product. And it's just it's very nice to be near that. And I know our listeners also really appreciate seeing it firsthand too. Yeah. Um, one one thing you touched on actually, which I find quite interesting is because the other thing is with, with the brand, uh, being Marvel being a, a license licensor, is that the, is that the phrase licensee? Yeah. Who's the licensor? licensor. Uh, We're the licensee. Yeah. There we go. There we go. I knew I'd get it. Sorry. <laughs> it's late in the day. It's my, there's my excuse. Um, obviously there's the challenges of that. I, I guess from the sports side, um, it relies much more heavily on the on the talent, if you like, you know, especially with signatures and things like that, which which is which is still an aspect of Marvel cards, but but less of an aspect. Um, certainly, in terms of the, the the actual autograph side of things, it's a much smaller pool. But then you've got the aspect of artists who are doing the sketch cards. So I guess that, to a large degree, is your is your bigger talent pool, rather than the athletes on the. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be the parallel. The best parallel would, you know, we have autograph collection on one side uh, and on the entertainment side, the closest thing to that 
would be uh, would be the artists. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's not exactly apples to apples because on the, obviously in an autograph, you just sign your name and you could knock those out several hundred of those in an hour. And an artist, you know, you hope is taking a little bit more time than that to create a sketch. Right. And then, of course, you have the actual artwork. Uh, I'm, I'm referring more to the sketch artists as a parallel to the autographs, obviously. But, yeah. you know, then you also have the the artists who create the art, the original artwork for the card sets themselves, uh, which is also, um, uh, you know, an added, you know, and that's something that really doesn't necessarily have a parallel on the, on the sports side. Uh, but yeah, you are at the mercy of a lot of moving parts that are many, which are out of your control. Um, and then you have, you know, you have, um, much different parameters. You're dealing with photography on the sports side predominantly, and, and you're dealing with artwork, or um, in some instances, um, imagery from from films, movies, mm-hmm. uh, and TV shows. So um, you know there and yeah, there there are there are some pretty significant differences, but they each have their own um, things that that do take a significant amount of time. And you, as a licensee, you are at the mercy of of those outside forces, and you just have to hope and keep your fingers crossed that. Uh, that they will honor the timetables and, uh, and they, and, you know, they don't always, and, you know, life happens. Uh, we learn how to deal with that, but, uh, but, you know, we do our best to, you know, to try to partner up with those that we feel will be able to honor those timelines. So nevertheless, amongst all of this, you are clearly um, elevating and expanding the amount of, of both, talent energy and volume of 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 marvel product that you're Uh you're going to be putting out into the market in the next year two years three years um that's that (laughs) to do all that on top of everything that you've been experiencing over the last last 12 months um i i I doff i doff my cap to you so uh, (laughs) that must that must be that must be quite a challenge um what's I know that um, Travis gave us a, a few little scoops, and I'm not going to ask you for any scoops. But I guess, you know, from 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 my point of view, I'm, I'm just curious, you know, where you see, with your experience, where you see kind of what the next big thing will be. Obviously, at the moment, it's is grading and PMGs are the two things, and sometimes that that crosses over, and people are going nuts about those. Um, I'm. You know, and there's a, there's all sorts of speculation as to whether that's a bubble or whether it's going to just chill out a bit, but it will become the new normal. You know, what do you see? I, it could be on the sports side as well, because obviously that will eventually affect Marvel cards, I'm sure. You know, yeah. what do you see as the next kind of either big thing or big trend that that you would expect to to see happening? Maybe as COVID eases. Yeah, it's. Um it's hard to say without revealing anything obviously proprietary. I, I, sure. I, I shared my uh, excitement and confidence in some of the things we're working on uh, and how they'll be received, you know, from a near term standpoint. When I say near term, we're working on 2023 right now. Um, so we're we're pretty far out. Um, but uh, but I, I honestly uh, I think that. Uh, a lot of what's going on right now, yes, I think it'll, like you said, I think it'll chill out a little bit. The um, the the thing that I, the thing going on right now that I'm a little bit concerned about is, um, you know, this this sort of uh, migration to grading. 
uh, and how important grading has become in in all trading cards. Uh, and and it's not it's not a secret. The grading companies are overwhelmed uh, with with submissions, uh, and I think they're trying to mitigate that with uh, a combination of things, including price increases and uh, and and a uh, expansion of, of of at least tempering consumer expectations of how long it'll take to get the cards back um, and and trying quite honestly to hire people in uh, to to be to become graders which is not probably not that easy to hire for uh, you have mm-hmm. to have a pretty good knowledge base of of our industry certainly um, so uh, and so I fear that you know, what's driving a lot of the rapid sort of opening of cards these days is that it, getting in there and finding that that card that you can grade out at a 10 um, and, and flip pretty quickly. Uh, that segment, if grading doesn't catch up, that may that may lessen a little bit remains to be seen because I think there'll be a there potentially could be some frustration that sets in both at the cost and the uh, the difficulty in the cards back. Um, and there's some new companies coming into that. Uh, that arena that are uh, going to take some time to, to build credibility and, and consumer confidence. So uh, that could help that, but it's going to take some time. Uh, so, and, and quite frankly, I, I'm, I'm blown away at how grading has, uh, has grown on, on the entertainment side of the business. Uh, I'm, I, that is something I never would have predicted. Uh, and, and I look at it now and I, I say, I make some sense, but some of the things being graded and real the prices being realized on the entertainment side particularly on the marvel trading card side just blow my mind it's awesome yeah. uh but it just speaks, <laughs> it speaks to how passionate the collectors are uh of some of that stuff and um and the appreciation towards it so uh i i see that uh i see that continuing and i and honestly i think um you know there's the obvious uh you know question about the the world of digital cards and how that really uh factors in and and uh, meshes with the physical world and that's why that's why I think epac is such a impactful platform and is so, such a innovative platform in that it uh, it bridges that gap between the digital and the physical in a way that you know in my mind is 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 the perfect you know confluence of of you know you can you can buy cards wherever you are in the world uh, and if you'd like to get that physical card sent to you you can I mean that's a uh, and if you don't want to you can keep it stored on the platform and sell it if you'd like it gives you so many options um, but where does that go I mean we're seeing things uh, right now I'm sure you guys have seen or heard about uh, NBA Top Shot, which is this uh, massive uh, initiative where you buy a video clip uh, of an NBA player uh, and you it comes out of a digital pack. That's become real popular lately, but uh, I just don't. It remains to be seen if those things have staying power, um, and uh, and it doesn't have a link to the physical world, which mm-hmm. you know is a little bit separate of what our forte is. So uh, I yeah. don't know ultimately where that will land. But I do know that as every new collector and the younger generation comes in, uh, their knowledge base is different than what the three of us are used to and what we know is the norm. Uh, and to be able to predict what that's going to be, well, that's that's a challenge. Uh, we do our best to try to be in the front of that. But at the end of the day, it's impossible to truly know. But uh, it's certainly... One thing I've learned about this business is uh, I, I I will never uh, cease to be amazed 
uh, things things just blow me away. New things, new innovations, new things that become popular. Uh, and and I, I, I'm very confident that there will be things that none of us have thought of yet that in the not too distant future will be introduced uh, and, and just set the, the industry on yet another path. So it's a I it's think- a really it's a it's a it's a really fun industry to be in and it's a really fun time to be in it. I love that so much, and I and I appreciate everything uh, that you said, and it's obviously great wisdom. Um, and it was funny because it made me think of the time we interviewed um, Bob Budiansky, who was sitting there with Marvel cards um, and trying to do Marvel cards for Marvel at the time, the 1990 Marvel Universe that's kind of blown up right now, um, which is you know what we're talking a little bit about. And he was saying how much fun they had, you know, how they had the fun facts, how they wrote weird stuff on the back you know what i mean the designs the characters they got to use the original art and i think you know you bring up pmgs and coming up with jambalaya and all this stuff i think what's really great and as long as there's a lot of fun being had and a lot of excitement over the pieces during the creation people come back to it you know what i mean people eventually find i mean we've we're seeing that now with marvel cards and i think all of us collectors are just really excited to be like yeah i told you these are awesome <laughs> and, and you know what and and to piggyback on that point you know um one of the uh it's not really a, a new phenomenon by any means anymore but certainly uh, a little bit newer on the entertainment side of things is the whole concept of group breaks and online breaks um. and and i and i think that that has done um, a lot of really beneficial things to the industry, but uh, more than anything else, it's it's made it's made our our hobby and our industry more visible, uh, and it exposes so many more people to the excitement. I mean, when you when you watch some of these breaks and you see the reactions of people when they get certain things, you 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 can't help but want to be a part of that. Yeah. And and understand that and know what that, you know, and have the opportunity to know what that feels like. Right. Like and, and you want to participate. And I think that's done a, a, a just a tremendous amount to to bring new people in uh, and experience what we all know uh, and what's great about collecting uh, the visibility of it. Social media certainly has done a tremendous job in, in spreading the message and, and um you know, and, and utilizing that technology, that real-time live technology, um, to bring together that community to share in the, the card opening experience. I mean, people who don't know what we're talking about right now just think we're nuts, right? Like, <laughs> so like why would you want to watch someone opening up a pack of cards? But once you give it a shot and you try it, you're like, now I, you get it quickly. Mm-hmm. Quickly. And, and you can't help but get hooked. And uh and I think that that's just done an unbelievable job of bringing new people into into collecting trading cards. And I don't I don't see that part slowing down anytime soon. No, not at all. Not at all. One of the, one of the things we also see is we see people doing videos of uh, mail calls where they've had <laughs> stuff <that>. arrive, <laughs> be it vintage. I mean, I do it myself because what I tend to do is I, <laughs> I tend to have stuff shipped to 
to to Norin here or, or, or other friends in the US and then they send me like six months worth of all the good cheddar and I just do a half an hour video of me opening it and half of the stuff I've forgotten I even bought because it's just, it's just in there. Well, you know, grading, grading is another example of that, right? Like, so when you send off a card to be graded, you, you've already had that experience of opening the pack and pulling that card out of the pack. Well, now you've extended that experience because now you're waiting to get that mail of see what grade you got. Mm-hmm. Don't read yep. the email that tells you that tells you what your grades are. Right. Like, just don't tell me. That, right. <laughs> and, uh, and just wait till you get the package in and open that thing up and you one by one, you look at what you got. I mean, yes. that's excitement. Well, it's, it's a little bit like that with your e-pack. And then when you get it delivered from, um, Oh, uh, the craziness. Say. Yes. Yeah. Like we've, we've had videos where we're like, we hadn't seen certain effects in real time. You know, we see a picture of it. We haven't seen like video of it or anything. So when collectors get packages first from EPAC and they're like, oh, check out that rainbow foil. And then everyone's like, all right, hold up. <laughs> Everybody goes to EPAC. Like, let me combine, let me uh, com- uh, combine some cards here. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. We've definitely done that. Uh, oh, you, yeah. got, you guys must be tickled pink at how fast Master pieces sold out on APAC this time. Four days, yes. two and a half hours, I, I calculated it, I think. East. Yes and no. Okay. So it's a, it's a blessing and a curse. It's a little bit of a blessing and a curse, right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, yeah, it's from a sales standpoint. If I'm putting on my pure revenue hat, yeah, I mean, that's it's fantastic. It sells out. It's great. Uh, but from a, from a collector standpoint, um, and a little bit from a manufacturer standpoint, you look at that and ideally you'd like it to be on there a little bit longer so that more people could have access to it uh, mm-hmm. and enjoy it and and be able to get, you know, be able to participate in it. So there is that. Um, it's a it's a double edged sword for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Marvel Masterpiece is one of those ones that we spend a lot of time talking about internally because it, you know, I love how the product is built uh, and clearly collectors love it. Uh, and uh, and the the reimagining of it from the earlier upper deck sets even, uh, but one of the challenges with it is we've kind of you know we've kind of painted ourselves in a corner a little bit. You know, it's all serially numbered, and you know, so what do you do? How do you get that to more people? How do you get it to more collectors? How do you give them more collectors the opportunity to enjoy it and collect it? Uh, and it's not an easy answer. So um, you know, that's something that we're always. Uh, discussing internally uh, and and sort of challenging ourselves to come up with ways to to broaden that. But uh, yeah, I mean it's it's fun to see how quickly something sells out. But also, you know, you do feel for the people who don't get that opportunity to get to to, yeah. uh, to participate. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, I guess from I mean, I know Norin, uh, you had a power cut when Fleer Ultra Spider Man sold out for like four oh, days. Oh, it was, so the, it was the worst. I got <laughs> I got well, part you, of the ice storm. And, and and all kidding aside, you did have a lot of time to buy that, right? Like, were you snoozing there? Were you, he, <laughs> he bought plenty. He bought plenty. He just could dive in at the end. Down here, I don't need this. <laughs> no, definitely. I had I had done a rainbow of a character named Spot and just had my fill of it. But there's something special about the groups, and we all know each other. So someone someone always checks. All right, I can put 99 cases in my cart, so it hasn't sold out. It's not going down. So that someone always checking <laughs> so we do uh 
you know, Jason and I are both big fans of data, uh, you know, so when we get the reports and we see all of a sudden there's this spike in Ultra Spider-Man after it's been out for all this time, it's always fun to try to figure out why that happened or or what happened. Yeah, now I know a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, it's well, always us. It's poor... Was- there was an episode we did where he was on a. In fact, the the visuals for the episode is literally Norrin standing in front of a printout of everyone who's got the card in the trading marketplace and little dots and crosses on it, where he's like figuring out <laughs> hmm, which one should I go after next when he's trying to get a hundred cards <laughs> together. Oh, it's great. It's um, great. That's and it fine. just yeah, and that was the little flurry that flew Ultra Spider Man on back in the spring. So it's like a digital uh, last year. When it's about to sell out, that's what it ends up being. Everyone just shows up suddenly and no one's busy. And everyone's like, all right, let's do this, guys. You ready? (laughs) It sells out and the party breaks up and everyone goes home. What's the? It's interesting because obviously there's more premium sets coming onto the Marvel side now. Um, And I'm just thinking back, you know, I can think back now to where some things were maybe tried a little bit on the Marvel side and then and then have come back. So, for example, Marvel Gems was the first Marvel set, I think, had the uh, the diamonds in and they've obviously come back now with the MCU sets. Um, and then you had uh, the Fleer retro sets in 2013 and 15, which introduced the PMGs into the Marvel side of things. But I guess the first premium well, the first Premier brand, I guess, was Premier back Premier, in yeah, 2012. 2012. Um, Travis indicated that you might have a particular connection or affinity with Premier, but I don't, I don't know if I'm, I misread what he was saying. Um, but from, you know, you've been at Upper Deck for such a long time, <laughs> you know, from the Masterpieces 2007 set, which is my favourite set um, <laughs> of, of all of them. Um but Marvel Premiere, do you uh, how how was that from a point of view of of planning and selling and putting that into marketplaces? Probably the first premium level Marvel set. Uh, I think you're right. Uh, certainly, certainly when you you're talking about like a, a single pack product, um, yeah. you know, it was uh, it was definitely. I remember when we were working on and planning that there was a little bit of the unknown, but we felt good about it. Uh, it was going to basically, you know, taking what had become the norm in sports and trying it on the Marvel side. I think we felt like we had gotten to that point with, uh, with our Marvel portfolio that we, it was time to try that. Hmm. Uh, and the premier brand, um, is a, is a brand that we've had on the sports side for 20 years, uh, as a, as a high end hockey product, um, and uh, and it just seemed natural. Now, it wasn't going to be exact built the same way as our sports product, obviously, because one is relying on autographs, game use, and this one would be relying much more on original art, sketches, things like that. Uh, but uh, it was, uh, in my mind, that one, I, I that was a no-brainer. Uh, that was an easy one. And um, and it, it, it worked. It had all the components that, at the time, just made sense. And uh, and it was it really came out better than I think we all thought. Uh, and uh, and as as time has gone on, we've tried, you know, again, I talk about expectations. You try to as best you can improve on those expectations uh, of collectors. And, um, you know, that one is is we do it every other year. 
yeah. give or take. We we alternate with Marvel masterpieces, kind of what we try to do, oh, yeah. because both of those sets just take a couple years to build. Mm. Uh, and uh, and this year is the premiere year, so uh, hopefully yes. this fall we'll see premiere. Um, you know, knock on wood. From a timing perspective, we would still pull that off. Uh, but uh, but uh, yeah, that that's been um, that's been just a, a really great you know new item. It's not new anymore, but at the time was a new item in the portfolio. I you know Travis mentioned uh, that I'm I'm partial to that one. I think I think he may have been thinking that because I you know just from a sales standpoint, it was such a pleasure to sell that product. Uh, um, yeah. I was wondering, I was wondering if he was referring more to, to, uh, flare Marvel, um, which also goes back to my old days. Mm. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, I, I was very much looking forward to that coming out. And I think that product, uh, was good. I think we probably could have done some things better. And, uh, I'm certainly lobbying for us to bring that product back again for another try. Uh, and I, and I feel like, uh, you good chance you're going to see that again in the not too distant future. Yeah, uh, but there are some <laughs> there are some cool things uh, from the original that we could take from that um, that uh, that I think we can incorporate in here. I, I don't know if you guys remember, but back then I think it was '94, Flare mm-hmm. Marvel somewhere around well, there, well, where yeah. you know, the actual the master cases had what were called Flare. Flare prints. I think they're yes, prints. That's the, the prints, prints, like the, yeah. the oversight. And those are those are still very popular. Um, you know, just little touches like that at trying to add those things in and um, you know, doing a better job with those and some of the other I would have loved to uh have figured out a way to incorporate um we call them kind of like the cigarette box, you know, the the top I love of the those boxes. Are but so uh, those are those are the best, but man, we spent a lot of money on packaging back in those days. Like you think <laughs> about those packages, you go back and look, I actually I have one here and I know this is this is a basketball and I know you know your, your, your listeners won't uh, be able to see this, yeah. but like this is this is etched foil uh, on yeah. on these and that is insanely expensive and you think about now the idea there was you know, collectors would open it and then they'd use that box to store the cards in them. And now everyone just wants to rip open the foil and be done with it and put it in a case, right? So you can't really justify uh, those those mm. those boxes. Otherwise, you won't like the box price. So uh, we well, kind of don't really want to go there. I, there is there is a hardcore contingent of collectors, and I'm one of them who opens a lot of wrappers very carefully. So oh, each yeah. of my binders 100%. has four, four, four pocket pages with wrappers in them. Um, I have, and the, those flare boxes are a pain in the ass to store. Um, from that point of view, from a binder guy point of view, uh, but the boxes are always neatly flattened down, and they live under a long box of comics for a week just so that they stay flat when they go into the binder. Uh, what else? What else can I tell you? Um, I, I really, really, um, obviously, you know, promo cards and, and and official binders and all that sort of stuff. We love that sort oh, of thing. So but, great. Uh, yeah, for Marvel uh, collectors, that is just gold. We love, we go back for those master prints, those case toppers. Those yeah. Oh, they're so great too. We're waiting for like the EPAC exclusive like box print out of a digital only thing or <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a small like uh, gallery print of packaging. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, there's so many different things that you can do. We just from a capacity standpoint, you only mm. can get to a fraction of them. But they're, especially on the uh, on the, on the Marvel side, on the entertainment side, there's just so many 
neat creative things you could do that, you know, obviously as long as they're within your, your licensing parameters, uh, there's some pretty neat things we still can do. I, I personally, I, I, I'm a big collector. I, I'm, I'm a little jaded cause I'm close to all this stuff. So it's, it's not, I don't have the same type of collecting bug I used to have in the same way, but I still do collect, but I collect oddball things like uncut sheets. And because oh. you, you don't, you don't see them that often. I like, you know, the challenge of those and, uh, and, and uh, entertainment cards in particular, because there's so much color, uh, just look fantastic as an uncut sheet. Um, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm partial to that. Um, but yeah, I, I like all those sort of oddball things. I, I don't, I don't think I'm a big believer on the Marvel side, especially that, you know, um, I'm amazed at what we can do again on that small piece of cardboard, but the, the, um, the Marvel, the property itself, uh, and the history and, and the characters, um, are so better suited to a bigger, uh, you know, sort of, of size of a medium, you know, and if you can do that, you know, collectors tend to not want to move away from that two and a half by three and a half inch piece of cardboard. But, you know, uh, when you have a bigger medium to work on, you can, you can really bring out the artwork and, uh, you know, that's always a challenge that that we we continuously look at to see if there's something we could do that's not your traditional size. So, mm. you know, we're always exploring that as well. Oh, well, that was the great thing about Premiere, too. Yeah, you had those sketches, yes. you know the, what I mean, the, on the, the tins, the, yeah, multi, the five by seven, the multi panel. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we'll see. So great. One of my most um, uh, beloved, I guess, um, um, oversized pieces that Upper Deck have produced were those box toppers for the Masterpieces 2008 um, mm. series that you did. They, they were the five, five by seven, I think. They were the we same were size as the Premier sketches. Yeah. And they, they were just stunning, just the choice of the artwork on those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were absolutely wonderful things. So, um, mm. yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd lap up any of Palumbo's <laughs> work, for example. You know, and there was all, or any there of the Flair also- artist's work. <laughs> Yeah, there was also um, in the earlier days there was a little bit more of a reluctance to do things like box toppers or case toppers because you were only the only person who was going to get those would be you know dealers or shop owners or someone who bought a full box. So if you were a pack buyer, you'd never have access to them unless you bought them mm-hmm. on the secondary market. But I but so much of of today's collecting world is done by the box. Um, I think there's a little bit less resistance to doing that. And it's just, um, there's a cost obviously involved in that. uh, that. So, uh, but, but, uh, I, I, I'm a big proponent of those, those odd size yeah. Well, it's, um, it's, um, I'm glad you mentioned uncut sheets. I was going to mention that because I, I heard you infusing about them and even showing one of your one of your um, OG sports yeah. sets that you worked on um, on the other show. Um, I remember when when we t- spoke to Bob Budiansky, he was just picking up uncut sheet after uncut <laughs> sheet, and we were just on the floor because it's like, and he's like, yeah, I, got, I got hundreds of these. It's like, of course, you worked at Marvel at the time, um, so you were creating them. Um, I guess. Uh, I get the the, impre- the impression that you're probably slightly more on the sports side in terms of your own personal tastes and your own personal collecting. Would I be right? That, that is true. I'm a I'm a huge sports fan, so I'm a I'm a I'm a sports guy. Um, you know, but I'm very partial to Marvel. I I uh, in addition to working for a licensee of Marvel for. Geez, how many years is it? If you include the distributor Heroes World and Fleer and Upper Deck, I mean, it's like 28 years. Um, yeah. So I have a real affinity and a connection to Marvel. Uh, but I'm I'm 
I'm a I'm a diehard sports guy. So uh, that's my sort of my bread and butter and the foundation of uh, my experience in the trading card business. But I I can't pick apart artwork like you guys probably can uh, with the same eye and appreciation. But I I can certainly. Uh, uh, appreciate when something looks really cool and uh, <laughs> and I can appreciate when uh, you know when something you know when you look at something you can say I, I can understand why that has significant value um, and that that translates over no matter what the property is absolutely so, uh, absolutely yeah. yeah. I think that's yeah. what's so magical about cards is that even like for us, like for me, who's like didn't collect tons of sports cards back in the day, Ian collects these uh, hockey cards sometimes and he shows me these booklets and the jerseys and um, NFL booklet dear. one. NFL, NFL dear. dear. Sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. And any playbook. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, but I've seen a few and they're absolutely beautiful. So I can definitely see that design as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, uh, I have to say, you know, back when I from my days at Fleer, uh, I mentioned how talented uh, that that group that I got to work with. I mean, if you think of some of the every every trading card manufacturer has has people working there in position important positions who their early days were at Fleer, even Marvel. I mean, you look at some mm, of the people who yeah. work at Marvel right now. I mean, including you know people at the very very top. Yep. There, there are former Fleer employees there as well, and uh, it's uh, it's impressive. The uh, we again, we didn't realize the uh, fully what we had at the time. It was well, pretty special. It, we're kind of making it a, a little mission of ours to track these these people down and and just talk to them. Um, it, it's it's kind of become a bit of a personal quest for me, just to kind of orally you know the oral history i guess if you like of of, of that time because the internet wasn't around really you know right um you've got you know you obviously had wizard you had previews you had cards illustrated for a few years you know and you had some smaller magazines but a lot of that is lost now because it's not in digital form so collectors now who maybe came into it you know in the noughties or in the in in the whatever the decade is after the noughties the teens um you know, just just don't know a lot about the. They love the sets because they've discovered them retrospectively, as a lot of people are now discovering Marvel Universe 1990. But they might not know the history of how they came about. And so, you know, talking to people like yourself who have have a foot very firmly on 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 the the the, the OG, if you like, and the modern, <laughs> is yeah. is is a privilege for us uh, to be able to oh, do that. But um, also. For our, for our listeners, you know, to be able to hear it. Oh, I'm glad I, like I mentioned to you guys previously, I, one of my favorite things to do is talk about this industry and this hobby and collecting. Uh, you know, I have a job to do, but I, there's, there are a few things I enjoy more than talking and telling stories and listening to other people's stories and, and the history behind a lot of things. And uh, yeah, I'm just glad that it's, it's nice to see people who, who appreciate, uh, trading cards as much as i do it's always a pleasure to, to talk about it so i do appreciate that well, bless you sir well, well we'll let you get back to that job in a, in a moment um i always i always do a couple of quick fire questions for upper deck employees which is is either hugely embarrassing or a ton of fun uh, depending on which way it goes so uh, we'll, we'll go there um so first question is avengers or x-men <laughs> i i uh i would probably i would have to say avengers Actually, I, I, I say that I say that hesitantly, <laughs> but I, I should say that with more confidence. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Marvel are listening. 
<clears throat> Possibly. Probably. I don't know. Do they listen to us? You would know. Next time you're on a call with them, ask them. And they'll probably <laughs> hit us with a lawsuit straight away, cease and desist. Um, and I think I know the answer to this one because since I started asking this, everyone's given the same answer. Have you had a, a trading card made of yourself? and or a yes. caricature of yourself. Uh, would it by any chance be a bystander card from Marvel Legendary? No. Oh. It's not, but that raises a whole other issue that if other people are saying yes, then I need to get one of those. Yeah, yeah. everyone's had one so far. I mean, you know. That's crazy. Seriously, Mike. Well, let me let me rephrase that. <laughs> not, not, not that I know of. <laughs> oh, it's been a kept secret. Yeah. And and if there was one done, I'm gonna have to consult my attorney on that one and find out <laughs> yes. what I should be asking for. No, it's I'm gonna be kidding. a strongly worded I, email either way. I think. I think. <laughs> no, I, I I have a I have a I have a trading card that was done for me um, a couple years ago uh, that was given out at the uh, at the industry summit. But uh, other than that, I don't. I think that's it. That's really cool. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, one's more than most people get, um, unless, of course, you're, you're Chris Evans. Um, uh, Mike, it's been an absolute delight to talk to you. Thank you for making some time for us. Um, oh, my pleasure. I've, I've, so I've, you know, everyone we speak to from Upper Deck is just, just brims with uh, passion and pride in the products that you put out. And uh, I can kind of see... Um, where that comes from um it's obviously a very top-down kind of um attitude i always uh, i always like to tell people i'm never a day doesn't go by when i don't think about how lucky i am to be doing something that i love you know uh, a lot of people go through the motions in their job every day and i am very fortunate that i get to do something and work in an industry that I've always wanted to ever since I was a kid and I never take that for granted. And I think I work, um, I especially enjoy working at Upper Deck because a lot of people share that same feeling and uh, it just makes it a pleasure to, to work there. Good. Well, okay. I'll tell you what else you make it a pleasure to do, Mike. And that is our sign off at the end of every episode. Enjoy collecting. Thanks for listening to the Marvel Card Collectors podcast. Visuals and tasting notes for each episode can be found on our Facebook page. You can subscribe and leave us a voicemail via our home on anchor.fm forward slash mccp. We're also on iTunes, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms. Please take a second to subscribe, like, and review our show wherever you get your podcasts. Our podcast can be found by Googling at the MCC pod, which will also find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Our Facebook community is at MCCW, Marvel Card Collectors Worldwide, and MMC, Marvel Masterpieces Collectors. The great music we use is called Rocket Power by Kevin McLeod. Thanks to the collectors, artists, and creators who support the Marvel Cards Fan Collective. We'll see you next time. And remember, it's a small hobby, but a fun one. Make mine marvel and enjoy collecting. <laughs>